prayed against distraction decay from the first service. Two phones went off, one of them mine, even though it was on Do Not Disturb, and a cat walked in. So uh, that was a rough one. <laughs> um, okay. So as Tim said, we're starting a new series this week on Ecle- called Ecclesia upon the church. And I thought I'd start us off just like we're talking about the beginning of the church and looking like from macro what it looks like uh, from far, far away. Does that sound good? I want to start off with the words of Jesus. Jesus was talking to his disciples, and I believe that he gave um, a hint for them to later see of what the church really is. And what he said is, it is in John 12, 24. And he said, very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. He was differentiating himself from other political leaders, religious leaders, spiritual guides, people like that. And he's saying, you know, when these people die, their words will go on and their concepts will go on, but they, they will be no longer. And he's saying, you know, this seed, when it comes to me, it, I, if I die, I'll produce many other seeds with the same life that I have that's in me. Let's keep that in uh, the back of our minds when we think about the church. Um, I want to take us through a couple feast festivals today that give us insight into what the church actually is. Okay, back in the time of the Exodus, you got these books, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers. It seems kind of boring sometimes when you're reading through the Old Testament. But God is implementing some things in there that these people, the Israelite people, did for hundreds and hundreds of years, every year. And just for them, I feel like we owe it to them to figure out what these things are that they had to do all these years and not know what they were about. Um, and this week I'm going to start talking about there's this festival of weeks that started with the feast of the first fruits and it ends with the feast of like the end gathering or the harvest or what we call Pentecost now. And I think it's really important to know what was happening, what they did, because when we do the research on um, the people, did they really know what was going on with these feasts? And they, it's kind of obscure what it was to them. But in, on this side of the resurrection, and the, the church, we get to look back on them and see what this is telling us about that. And I think it's super exciting. Um, we're going to start with the Passover. Um, we're going to start like a couple days before Jesus died. He's entering into to Jerusalem. And there's this thing called the Passover. And this is a review for a lot of you, but for some of you it may not be. Um, back in before the Israelites were freed from slavery um, in Egypt, there was this night, and there was plagues, and uh, Moses kept asking Pharaoh, hey, let us go out into the desert to sacrifice to our gods, we'll be back, and, and, and Pharaoh would be like, no, you can't do it. Then, he'd, then a plague would come, and it would mess things up, and he'd say, okay, you can go. And then right before they were leaving, he'd say, no, you can't go anymore. And so another plague would come. And so God kept giving him all these ch- chances, but uh, he kept changing his mind. And so the very last one was the plague of the, of the killing of the firstborn son of families and livestock even. Um, and so you guys know the story, I think, is um, God implemented this thing called the Passover, the feast, and it's centered around a spotless, uh, unblemished lamb that was slaughtered, and they would eat the whole thing, but they would take a branch of hyssop, dip it in the blood of, of the lamb, and put it over their door. And so when the angel of death came, if that was over their door, he would pass over that house. And so Everyone who had that on their door did not lose anyone in their house that night. Um, that, obviously, that was the foreshadowing of Jesus. And so, but it was so exact that the time when Jesus came into Jerusalem, 
I mean, down to, I mean, some scholars don't know if it's the exact, exact time, but uh, definitely the same day where people were bringing the lambs to the temple and presenting them for the priests and saying, hey, decide for us if this is good enough. And so the priests would look over these lambs and say, no, this one has a blemish. This one won't do. Oh, this one is perfect. So this is a spotless lamb. You can sacrifice that. At the same time that's happening on the same day, Jesus comes before Pilate and Pilate examines him. And at the end of this interview, he said, I find no fault with this man. So these are fun corollaries that are happening. Um, you know, at the time of the actual crucifixion was the same day, maybe the same hour that the Passover lamb at the, the temple was being um, just was being killed. Jesus was dying on the cross. So this is setting us up. And these are the things that a lot of people have heard before. Maybe um, they line up this way. It's God fulfilling these things that he's having the, the people do for so many years. And so these next two are a little bit more obscure, but I think they tell us a lot about who the church is. Okay, so we know the Passover one. Two days later, uh, after Jesus has been put in his tomb on the earth, um, something else is happening, and it's the Feast of First Fruits at the temple. Um, the morning, Sunday morning that we know is Easter, what's happening over here at the temple is there's a priest who's going out, he's walking out into a field that had been planted with wheat before, and this field specifically for this purpose. Um, and he looks, and what he's looking for to see if the seed has sprouted, okay? So he's looking down, and he's down, and he finds a sprout, okay? And if there's more than one, he finds the best one, and he digs up that sprout, and he's very careful, he wraps it in something, and he walks it back to the temple. And when he gets to the temple, he presents this before the Lord, and they call it a wave offering. And I'm making it up that they do it this way. I don't know if that's exactly the way they do it. But he, he waves offering and he offers that first fruits to the Lord. Okay? Um, and at that same exact time when this is happening, he's doing this like as a thanksgiving to God that the seed has planted in the earth and taken root. And at the same exact time, what's happening across town is this. It's in Matthew 28. A lot of today I'm just going to read you scripture to tell the story of what we're talking about. Matthew 28, after the Sabbath, at the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to, look at, went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. And now I told you. Now keep in mind, at the same moment, two things are happening here. Over here, in the temple ritual that's happening, the priest is reaching down into the ground and pulling out the first fruits of that harvest from the ground. At that same exact time, God the Father's reaching down and pulling the first fruits from the dead out of the tomb. Those are happening at the same exact time. I like to think that as the priest is reaching down, the earth starts quaking. Because it tells us in Matthew 28 that the earth quaked when that happened. I, th I think it's probably about the exact same time. It would be fun if it was, right? 
um, that the earthquake, he felt that happen. If it's the same priest that was killing the lamb at the Passover, the earthquake then when Jesus died too, it could have been the same timing as well. That's, I think that's a fascinating thing. And keep in mind, it's, um, we're going to see something later, but this is the first fruits from the ground. I think if you're an angel and you're watching this, you get it. You're, you're loving what's happening here between these two things. Okay, 49 days later, the festival of Pentecost would occur. Um, what, what happened here? The festival, it, it's, called, it's part of this festival of weeks that we're talking about. People call it the day of first fruits and the harvest feast, but we know it as Pentecost. And this is 49 days later. Um, Pentecost, just so you know, there's three um, pilgrimage festivals in Israel. And what that means is, as an adult male um, Israelite, you need to try to make it to Jerusalem if you can to be here, which translates into people from all over the world coming to Jerusalem for this. And on this date, um, some scholars think up to half a million people may have been in Jerusalem which would just inundate that town with people. People were sleeping all over the streets and the corners, and they would fill all the squares and things like that, um, just to give you a picture of who all was there. Um, Again, this is one of the things that the Lord implemented back in the time of the Exodus, and I'll read you Leviticus 23, 15. Um, The Lord implemented this. From the day after the Sabbath, the day you brought the sheaf of, of the wave offering, what we just talked about, count off seven full weeks, Count off 50 days up to the day after the seventh Sabbath, and then present an offering of new grain to the Lord. From wherever you live, bring two loaves made of two-tenths of an ephah of finest flour, baked with yeast, as a wave offering, the first fruits of the Lord. Okay. Again, I like to think it's the same priest that did the first fruits. Can we just agree to think that for now? Because I think it makes it for a fun, more fun story. So the same priest goes out into the same field, where he dug up that sprout, and he looks and hopefully sees something like this. A lot of this wheat, it's the same stuff that he got the the sprout out of, but now it's full-grown, mature wheat, okay? It's very important for us to understand this is the same DNA, the same life that existed in that first fruit is now abundant in this field. And so what the priest does is he takes out his sickle, and he grabs a couple of... um, um, bushels of this. Um, As we're talking about this being the same life and the same DNA, I want to just read a quote to you from Paul, what he writes later on in 1 Corinthians. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. So he's, he's ta- I think Paul saw this very clearly, this correlation that we're going to talk about. Okay, the priest took a sickle, he got two bundles, and he brought it back to the temple. And what he does here is when you have wheat, you do this thing where you beat it, right? And you beat it, hopefully there's a wind blowing when that happens, because what will happen is the seeds will come, because they weigh a little bit more, and come out, and there's this stuff called chaff that will blow away. And if you don't have wind, you'll just blow while you're doing that to make that happen, right? And it separates the the actual seed that you're going to eat to make into flour from the stuff you don't want to eat. So he does that, and then there's this convex stone that once he has the grain here, and he'll roll it back and forth over that that, um, wheat, and he makes it into a really fine flour. Then he'll add some water, put it in a bowl, add some yeast. And this is another kind of fun side note to this. 
as part of the Passover festival, you go through your whole house, and, and it becomes a big ritual, and you look for yeast, and you get rid of everything that has any yeast in it. So nothing can rise during this time. And you haven't been able to use yeast. These people, it's been 49 weeks since uh, the first fruits day, and even before that when the Passover started, since you've been able to use yeast in any cooking in your house. So nothing's been able to rise for all of this time. And today's the day where you're allowed to use it. And, and as soon as this is dedicated to the Lord, then all of Israel can use yeast from here on out. But until then, it hasn't been able to use it. That's kind of a fun, significant thing, I think, as well. So he kneaded it into dough. He let it rise. And then he has these bread loaves, and he puts in the oven. And it's an oven with fire in it. And again, you have... Um, you make the fire in there and you blow on it <laughs> to make sure it's working. And the tradition was that how the priests knew when it was time, as soon as the loaves crusted, then they were dedicated to the Lord. And what he would do is he'd take them out of the oven. Um, and again, this was because it was a pilgrimage festival. It would, um, people would come they'd, from all over the world and they'd come to see this happen. So he would take the bread and he would dedicate it to the east, to the north, to the west, to the south, and he does this thing, and he goes high and low, but it, it's, a, it's kind of the spectacle of the Pentecost for everyone to see, um, and it also lets everyone know that you can use yeast from here on out, but the people really didn't understand what this was all about, but they knew they had to come, and it, it happened every year for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Okay, this was probably around eight or nine in the morning, somewhere between eight and nine in the morning. At the exact same time that this was happening, there was a group of followers of Jesus, 120 people, that were waiting in an upper room for something that Jesus called the Holy Spirit. They don't exactly understand what Jesus talked to the 12 at least a little about it, but most people probably didn't exactly know what he was talking about. And this is kind of a fun season, I think. After the resurrection of Jesus, he would appear to these people from time to time. So they had about 40 days where every once in a while Jesus would show up after being crucified and resurrected. And sometimes he would eat with them. And the, I just, I'm fascinated to know what happened here. I mean, were we allowed to ask him questions? It seems like that. And how often did he show up? Was it every day? Was it every week? I don't know. Um, but we're not sure what happened during those 40 days. But 10 days ago, he ascended back up into heaven and we all watched him. And he said, okay. What I want you to do, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave for a second, but what I want you to do is I want you to go into Jerusalem and I want you to wait because I'm going to send something called the Holy Spirit and he's going to come in power. And he didn't seem to explain it, so they, but they know how to wait, so they go back and here they are. And I just think how bonded they must have been by this time. Can you imagine the roller coaster of emotions you would have been on in the last couple of months if you were one of these 120 people? I mean, Jesus shows up somewhere does a great miracle, everyone's following him around, then he says something to make everyone mad, and they all leave him. You get to see this several times. He enters in the triumphal entry, everyone's saying, Hosanna, and you're like, oh, they, they get it, they get who he is. And you don't even get who he is actually at this time, but and then a couple days later, they're saying, crucify him, give us Barabbas. Um, so there's this huge roller coaster. Then you watch the man who you've put all of your life into, all of your future hopes die on a cross. So confusing. And you're all doing this together. Then you, the elation of watching him raise up out of the ground and appearing to you and talking to you. I mean, just I, I would imagine you'd be pretty close to the people around you who you've been through all of this with in just such a short time. Um, so when this is happening, um, these people are waiting. 
in an upper room in Jerusalem. And I'm going to read Acts 2, what happens that day. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So here they were, a group of people kind of planted by Jesus. They'd been crushed by what had happened over the past few months. You know, they'd been crushed and they'd been bonded together. Um, And then suddenly a wind is heard in this room. A wind, just like we, we read about the, the chaff and the, and the blowing on the fire. Um, you guys remember a couple weeks ago in, during these 40 days that he was on the earth, he breathed into his disciples and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. So there's something going on with breath and blowing that's happening here. And suddenly this great wind is heard and fire appears on all of their heads. Remember, what's happening in the other thing? Put these two side by side. At the same time, the once separate, now crushed seeds were being baked in this oven at the temple of, to be given to God. Jesus' disciples were over here in this room where blowing was appearing and fire was, appe- uh, fire was appearing over their, their heads, making them um, crusted, if you will. And Jesus' disciples were together in the room where the fire appeared, making them the sacrifice worthy of God, giving them his life and power. That divine life was entering into this people at the same time these loaves were being baked to be given to God. I mean, Jesus told his disciples a couple of times that he was the bread of life. It's what we do every Sunday. This is my bread. This is my body broken for you, right? And he's showing them now the show bread that is showing the whole world who I am on the table. That's you. It's fascinating. One of my favorite, when it comes to reading about the church, there's an author named Gene Edwards, and I think, He's very excited about it, and I like reading what he has to say. But one of his quotes is, A divine seed had come up. That divine life had once dwelt in only one man. Today it dwelt in more than one man. What we're talking about is really big. Um, As of that day, in the city of Jerusalem, the rule and kingdom that until then only heaven had known at last invaded the earth. The kingdom of heaven touched earth. What an awesome event. At last, God's kingdom had enlarged. It had moved to the offensive. It had taken new territory. A beachhead for the kingdom of heaven was established on this planet. If you ever want a fun definition for the church, what the church is, a beachhead for the kingdom of God established on this planet. I love that. It might appear to have been a small beginning, but it was destined to enlarge. What had happened? The most awesome event in human history. A seed had become one loaf. The church was born. Okay, I'm going to quickly tell the story of what happened actually in the town when that happened. The wind blew. I, I like the fact that uh, Jesus told them to wait somewhere, and they ended up in an upper room. I think it's just one of those wonderful provisions of the Lord because the city was packed with people, and they were all at this time. Remember, he says, it's, we're not drunk. It's only 9 in the morning. This is the exact time where they would have been filing into the temple past all the streets to see the dedication of the bread, right? So as they're coming in, there's an upper room that everyone could see, and all of a sudden this wind comes and there's a sound, and it seems like they all heard it. So they looked up, and then they see these people very excitedly coming out talking. And again, someone accuses them of being drunk, and Peter comes up and is like, it's only 9 in the morning, we're not drunk. What's happening here is the fulfillment of Joel. He said, you know, when he said he's going to pour out his spirit upon all people. This is what's happening here. 
And so they all began telling the story of Jesus, what's happened to them. Because a lot of these people, they'd come from all over the world. So they may not have heard what the last three years have been like in Jerusalem with Jesus. and We don't know how much they knew, but they heard it then. And the Holy Spirit was in all 120 of those people. And then he started to move out and convict the hearts of some of these people. So there's 3,000 of these people who say, what do we have to do to be saved? And they said, you just repent of your sins and go be baptized. And they're like, we're in. And so they went immediately, and they went to the probably the pool of Bethesda and the pool of Siloam. Um, one of them or both of them, there's 3,000 of them, probably a lot of them, I believe, or both. And they got baptized. And what happens is they all stayed, which was astounding. Well, I mean, <laughs> you're here in this other city, but a divine life has entered into me, and there's other people here who also have that divine life, and I have to be here. God is doing something. And so they would write letters back home, say, hey, sell my stuff and send me the money. And we, they lived like that together. Tim and Susie will probably talk a little bit about that in the weeks to come. But that's amazing that those people would stay there. But something new had been established on the earth that made that well worth it. They had no other probably thought. Oh, I can't go home. So I like to, when I read a lot of these things, it's fun to kind of take a step back and look maybe what an angel would see. And we're going to talk about divine life, what we might be seeing. So for thousands of years, even since the creation of the earth, divine life existed in the Godhead. It was here. The earth is here. And it interacted. It would come and it would interact and it would help things and it would speak and things like that. But divine life was here and, and the earth was down here. Then, miracle of miracles, somehow this divine life entered into an embryo and became a baby and grew up as a child. But from our perspective, as angels looking down on the earth, there's this, I like to think of it as like a bright light. It's an unbelievably bright light that happens on this tiny little rock we call earth that is walking around. And it, people say never, Jesus never went 30 miles more from where he was born. But it just moves around there, and it, it, if we put on those lenses of divine life, we're like, wow, there it is. For 33 years, it walks on the earth. And then Jesus is killed, and then he comes back and he starts talking to people for 40 days. And then for 10 days, this divine life goes back to the Godhead, where we've known it for so long. Today's a day that's astounding if you're an angel, because you watch this divine life, and it comes back, and all of a sudden it's in 120 people. That would be amazing to see. I mean, if you're looking at it like that light, 120 people have the very life of God. Remember, it's the same seed, the same DNA is in that seed of the first fruits that is in the wheat. That divine life has been entered into 120 people. Then within minutes or an hour or two hours, who knows how long it took, it enters into 3,000 more people. What does that look like if you're looking down on that and you actually see it for what it is? It's astounding. But that's, what, that's who the church is. It's the receptacle and the, the habitat for divine life on the earth. It's that beachhead of the kingdom of God because of the life that exists in the people of God, and they're together, and that's what the church is. Jesus said, unless the seed dies, then it'll just be one. But if it dies, it becomes many seeds. He knows what these festivals are about. He's pointing to this for us to see because he's given us his life. That's who we are on this earth. It, we're more than sons and daughters or fathers and mothers or accountants or teachers or pastors or students or whatever we are. We're, we're walking around with divine life in us. And when we get together, there's this beautiful thing that's called the church. 
we look at it from the outside and we see buildings and we see problems and we see all this, all this stuff. But I think if an angel looks at us, the glow that comes, the, 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 the light that comes out of us when we're together, when we're learning how to love him, when we're learning how to know him, when we're displaying him to the world because of the divine life that's in us, he's helping us teach each other how to love and how to, how to be that divine life. That's what the church is. We are the church, the gathering of divine life. Anybody have any questions? <laughs> okay. Well, I want us just to see this. Uh, this is the first in this series, and I want us just to take this macro view, and we'll talk more about the nuts and bolts probably in the next couple of weeks. But as we look at the church, know that it's a group of people who've been given the gift of divine life, the same one that Jesus had while he walked around the earth, and we're together and we learn. So let me pray for us as we go. Father, thank you for the privilege that you've given us. You've given us the life of your son. and You've given us each other, other people with that same life. Lord, I ask that you would open our eyes to see these things. Lord, that we would learn to love you, to present you to the world the way you are. Lord, we thank you that there is a church together so we can learn and we can become better at these things. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.